Section 8 of History of Australia and New Zealand from 1696 to 1890. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of Australia and New Zealand from 1696 to 1890 by Alexander and George Sutherland. Port Phillip. 1800 to 1840. 1. Discovery of Port Phillip. The discovery of Base Strait in 1798 had rendered it possible for the captains of ships bound for Sydney to shorten somewhat their voyage thither, and as this was recognized by the English government to be a great advantage, a small vessel, the Lady Nelson, was sent out under the command of Lieutenant Grant in order to make a thorough exploration of the passage. She reached the Australian coast at the boundary between the two present colonies of Victoria and South Australia. Grant called the cape he first met with Cape Northumberland. He saw and named Cape Nelson, Portland Bay, Cape Shank, and other features of the coast. When he arrived in Sydney, he called the attention of Governor King to a small inlet which he had not been able to examine, although it seemed to him of importance. In 1802, the governor sent back the Lady Nelson, now under the command of Lieutenant Murray, to explore this inlet. Lieutenant Murray entered it, and found that a narrow passage led to a broad sheet of water, thoroughly landlocked, though of very considerable extent he reported favorably of the beauty and fertility of its shores and desired to name it port king in honor of the governor but governor king requested that this tribute should be paid to the memory of his old commander the first australian governor and thus the bay received its present name port philip only sixty days later flinders also entered the bay but when he arrived some time afterwards in sydney he was surprised to find he was not the first discoverer. It was at this time that the governor in Sydney was afraid of the intrusion of the French upon Australian soil, and when he heard how favorable the appearance of this port was for settlement, he resolved to have it more carefully explored. Accordingly, he sent a small schooner, the Cumberland, under the charge of Mr. Robbins, to make the examination. The vessel carried Charles Grimes, the surveyor-general of New South Wales, and his assistant, Meehan, also a surgeon named McCallum, and a liberated convict named Fleming, who was to report on the agricultural capabilities of the district. On arriving at Port Phillip, they commenced a systematic survey, Robbins sounding the bay and making a careful chart, while the other four were every morning landed on the shore, to examine the country. They walked ten or fifteen miles each day, and in the evening were again taken on board the schooner. Thus they walked from the site of Sorrento round by Brighton, till they reached the river Yara, which they described as a large freshwater stream, but without naming it. Then they went round the bay as far as Geelong. They carried a good chart and several long reports to the governor at Sydney, who would probably have sent a party down to settle by the Yarra, had it not been that an expedition had already set sail from England for the purpose of occupying the shores of Port Phillip. 2. Governor Collins 
this was the expedition of david collins already mentioned he brought out nearly four hundred persons of whom over three hundred were convicts there is good reason to believe that collins from the first would have preferred to settle at the derwent in tasmania but at any rate he carried out his work at port phillip in a very half-hearted manner tucky chose for the settlement a sandy shore at sorrento where scarcely a drop of fresh water was to be had and where the blazing sun of midsummer must have been unusually trying to a crowd of people fresh from colder climates it soon became apparent that the site selected would never prove suitable and collins sent lieutenant tucky in search of a better place that officer seems to have made a very inefficient search he found no river and no stream better than the little one on which the town of frankston now stands here he was attacked by a great crowd of blacks and had a conflict with them sufficiently severe to prevent his landing again he was thus debarred from exploration by land and the stormy weather prevented him from remaining long in the open bay tucky therefore returned with a very gloomy report and increased the despondency of the little community every one was dull and dispirited except the two or three children who had been allowed to accompany their convict parents among these the leader of all their childish sports was a little lad named john pasco faulkner who was destined to be afterwards of note in the history of port philip everybody grew dispirited under the heat the want of fresh water and the general wretchedness of the situation and very soon all voices were unanimous in urging the governor to remove collins then sent a boat with letters to sydney and governor king gave him permission to cross over to tasmania he lost not a moment in doing so and founded the settlement at the derwent to which reference has already been made before he left there were four convicts who took advantage of the confusion to escape into the bush hoping to make their way to sydney one returned footsore and weary just in time to be taken on board the other three were not again seen two are believed to have perished of hunger and thirty-two years passed away before the fate of the third was discovered three western port when hume and hovell returned to sydney after their exploring expedition hovell insisted that the fine harbor he had seen was western port he had really been at geelong harbor but was all that distance astray in his reckoning induced by his report the government sent an expedition under captain wright to form a settlement at western port hovell went with him to give the benefit of his experience they landed on philip island but the want of a stream of permanent water was a disadvantage and soon after they crossed to the mainland on the eastern shore where they founded a settlement building wooden huts and one or two brick cottages hovell had now to confess that the place he had formerly seen was not western port and he went off in search of the fine country he had previously seen but came back disappointed the settlement struggled onward for about a year and was then withdrawn it is not easy to explain in a few words why they abandoned their dwellings and the land they had begun to cultivate it seems to have been due to a general discontent however there were private settlers in tasmania 
who would have carried out the undertaking with much more energy. For in Tasmania, the sheep had been multiplying at a great rate, while the amount of clear and grassy land in that island was very limited. One of the residents in Tasmania, named John Batman, who has been already mentioned, conceived the idea of forming an association among the Tasmanian sheep owners for the purpose of crossing Base Strait and occupying with their flocks the splendid grassy lands which explorers had seen there. 4. Batman John Batman was a native of Parramatta, but when he was about twenty-one years of age he had left his home to seek his fortune in Tasmania. There he had taken up land and had settled down to the life of a sheep farmer in the country around Ben Lomond. But he was fond of a life of adventure, and found enough of excitement for a time in the troubled state of the colony. It was he who captured Brady, the leader of the bushrangers, and he became well known during the struggle with the natives on account of his success in dealing with them and in inducing them to surrender peaceably. But when all these troubles were over, and he had to settle down to the monotonous work of drafting and driving sheep, he found his land too rocky to support his flocks. Knowing that others in Tasmania were in the same difficulty, he and his friend Gellibrand, a lawyer in Hobart, in the year 1827, asked permission to occupy the grassy lands supposed to be round Western Port, but the governor in Sydney refused. In 1834, some of them resolved to go without permission, and an association of 13 members resolved to send sheep over to Port Phillip, which was now known to be the more suitable harbor. Before they sent the sheep, they resolved to send someone to explore and report. John Batman naturally volunteered, and the association chartered for him a little vessel, the Rebecca, in which, after nineteen days of seasickness and miserable tossing in the strait, he succeeded in entering Port Phillip on the 29th of May, 1835. Next morning, he landed near Geelong and walked to the top of the Barabool Hills, wading most of the way through grass knee-deep. On the following day, he went in search of the aboriginals, and met a party of about twenty women, together with a number of children. With these he soon contrived to be on friendly terms, and after he had distributed among them looking-glasses, blankets, handkerchiefs, apples, and sugar, he left them very well satisfied. 5. The Yara A day or two later, the Rebecca anchored in Hobson's Bay, in front of the tea tree scrub and the lonely shores where now the streets of Williamstown extend in all directions. Batman again started on foot to explore that river whose mouth lay there in front of him. With fourteen men, all well armed, he passed up the river banks, but being on the left side, he naturally turned up that branch, which is called the salt water instead of the main stream after two days of walking through open grassy lands admirably suited for sheep they reached the site of sunbury from a hill at that place they could see fires about twenty miles to the southeast and as they were anxious to meet the natives 
they bent their steps in that direction till they overtook a native man with his wife and three children to his great satisfaction he learnt that these people knew of his friendly meeting with the women in the geelong district they guided him to the banks of the merry creek to the place where their whole tribe was encamped he stayed with them all night sleeping in a pretty grassy hollow beside the stream in the morning he offered to buy a portion of their land and gave them a large quantity of goods consisting of scissors knives blankets looking-glasses and articles of this description in return they granted him all the land stretching from the merry creek to geelong batman had the documents drawn up and on the northcote hill overlooking the grass-covered flats of collingwood and the sombre forests of carlton and fitzroy the natives affixed their marks to the deeds by which batman fancied he was legally put in possession of six hundred thousand acres trees were cut with notches in order to fix the boundaries and in the afternoon batman took leave of his black friends he had not gone far before he was stopped by a large swamp and so slept for the night under the great gum trees which then spread their shade over the ground now covered by the populous streets of west melbourne in the morning he found his way round the swamp and in trying to reach the salt water came upon a noble stream which was afterwards called the yarra in the evening he reached his vessel in the bay next day he ascended the yarra in a boat and when he came to the yarra falls he wrote in his diary quote, this will be the place for a village unquote. unconscious that he was gazing upon the site of a great and busy city returning to indented head near the heads of port philip he left three white men and his sydney natives to cultivate the soil and retain possession of the land he supposed himself to have purchased then he set sail for tasmania where he and his associates began to prepare for transporting their households their sheep and their cattle to the new country six the henty brothers but even earlier than this period a quiet settlement had been made in the western parts of victoria there as early as eighteen twenty eight sealers had dwelt at portland bay had built their little cottages and formed their little gardens but they were unauthorized and could only be regarded by the british government as intruders having no legal right to the land they occupied in eighteen thirty four however there came settlers of another class edward stephen and frank henty their father a man of some wealth had in eighteen twenty eight emigrated with all his family to western australia carrying with him large quantities of fine stock but the settlement at swan river proving a failure he had removed to tasmania where his six sons all settled very soon they found the pastoral lands of tasmania too limited and as edward henty had in one of his coasting voyages seen the sealers at portland bay and noticed how numerous the whales were in that bay and how fine the grassy lands that lay within he chartered a vessel the thistle and crossed in her to settle at portland bay with servants sheep cattle and horses 
the land was all that had been anticipated and soon frank and then stephen arrived with more stock and more men to tend them houses and stores were put up and fields were ploughed ere long other settlers followed and in the course of five or six years all the district lying inland from portland bay was well settled and covered with sheep while at portland bay itself so many whales were caught that there were not tanks enough to hold the oil and much of it was wasted the english government after some delay agreed to sell land to the settlers and before eighteen forty a thriving little town stood on the shores of portland bay seven faulkner john pascoe faulkner who as a boy had landed at sorrento in eighteen o three had grown up to manhood in tasmania through stormy times and had at length settled down as an innkeeper in launceston with that business however combining the editing and publishing of a small newspaper for he was always a busy and active-minded worker and had done a great deal to make up for the defective education of his earlier years when batman arrived in launceston with the news of the fine pastoral country across the water faulkner became quite excited at the prospects that seemed possible over there he accordingly began to agitate for the formation of another association and five members joined him at his expense the schooner enterprise was chartered and loaded with all things necessary for a small settlement on the twenty seventh july eighteen thirty five he set sail from launceston but the weather was so rough that after three days and two nights of inexpressible sickness faulkner found himself still in sight of the tasmanian coast he therefore asked to be put ashore and left captain lancy to manage the trip as he thought best the captain took the vessel over to western port as had been originally arranged but the land there was not nearly so good as they understood it to be in the port philip district so they sailed round and safely anchored in hobson's bay bringing with them horses and ploughs grain fruit trees materials for a house boats provisions and indeed everything that a small settlement could want getting out their boat they entered upon the stream which they saw before them but unfortunately they turned up the wrong arm and after rowing many miles were forced to turn back the water all the way being salt and unfit for drinking for this reason they called this stream the salt water but next morning they started again and tried the other branch after pulling for about an hour and a half they reached a basin in the river whose beauty filled them with exultation and delight a rocky ledge over which the river flowed kept the water above it fresh the soil was rich and covered with splendid grass and they instantly came to the conclusion to settle in this favored spot next day they towed the vessel up and landed where the custom-house now is at night they slept beside the falls where the air was fragrant with the sweet scent of the wattle trees just bursting into bloom they had not been on the river many days before mr wedge one of batman's party 
in crossing the country from indented head to the yara was astonished to see the masts of a vessel rising amid the gum trees on reaching the river bank what was his surprise to find in that lonely spot a vessel almost embedded in the woods and the rocks and glades echoing to the sound of hammer and saw and the encouraging shouts of the ploughmen wedge informed faulkner's party that they were trespassers on land belonging to john batman and company captain lancy having heard the story of the purchase declared that such a transaction could have no value when wedge was gone the settlers laid their axes to the roots of the trees and began to clear the land for extensive cultivation a fortnight later wedge brought round all his party from indented head in order to occupy what batman had marked as the site for a village and the two rival parties were encamped side by side where the western part of collins street now stands a little later faulkner arrived with further settlers and with a wooden house which he soon erected by the banks of the yarra the first regularly built house of melbourne he placed it by the side of the densely wooded stream which was afterwards turned into elizabeth street great crowds of black and white cockatoos raised their incessant clamour at the first strokes of the axe but soon the hillside was clear and man had taken permanent possession of the spot eight william buckley meanwhile a circumstance had happened which favoured batman's party in no small degree the men left at indented head were surprised one morning to see an extremely tall figure advancing towards them his hair was thickly matted his skin was brown but not black like that of the natives he was almost naked and he carried the ordinary arms of the aborigines this was william buckley the only survivor of the three convicts who had escaped from governor collins's expedition he had dwelt for thirty-two years among the natives during this long time he had experienced many strange adventures but had not exercised the smallest influence for good upon the natives he was content to sink at once to their level and to lead the purely animal life they led but when he heard that there was a party of whites on indented head whom the geelong tribes proposed to murder he crossed to warn them of their danger batman's party clothed him and treated him well and for a time he acted as interpreter smoothing over many of the difficulties that arose with the natives and rendering the formation of the settlement much less difficult than it might have been nine excitement in tasmania the news taken over by batman caused a commotion in tasmania many settlers crossed in search of the new country and before a year had passed nearly two hundred persons with more than fifteen thousand sheep had landed on the shores of port philip but they soon spread over a great extent of country from geelong to sunbury they were in the midst of numerous black tribes who now too late began to perceive the nature of batman's visit and commenced to seek revenge frequent attacks were made in one of which a squatter and his servant were killed beside the werribee their bodies lie buried in the flagstaff gardens 
10. Governor Burke. These were not the only troubles of the settlers, for the Sydney government declared that all purchases of land from ignorant natives were invalid, and Governor Burke issued a proclamation warning the people at Port Phillip against fixing their homes there, as the land did not legally belong to them. Still, new settlers flocked over, and a township began to be formed on the banks of the Yarra. Batman's association found that their claims to the land granted them by the natives would not be allowed, and after some correspondence on the subject with the home government, they had to be content with 28,000 acres as compensation for the money they had expended. 11. Lonsdale Towards the close of 1836, Governor Burke found himself compelled to recognize the new settlement and sent Captain Lonsdale to act as a magistrate. Thirty soldiers accompanied him to maintain order and protect the settlers. Next year, 1837, the governor himself arrived at Port Phillip, where he found the settlers now numbering 500. He planned out the little town, giving names to its streets, and finally settling that it should be called Melbourne, after Lord Melbourne, who was then the Prime Minister of England. 12. La Trobe In 1838, Geelong began to grow into a township, and the settlers spread west as far as Colac. Next year, Mr. La Trobe was sent to take charge of the whole district of Port Phillip under the title of superintendent, but with almost all the powers of a governor. The settlers held a public meeting in an auction room at Market Square for the purpose of according a hearty welcome to their new governor, whose kindliness and upright conduct soon made him a great favorite. A wattle and daub building was put up as a police office on the site of the Western Markets, where it did duty for some time, until one night it fell, some say because it was undermined by a party of imprisoned natives, but others because a bull belonging to Mr. Batman had rushed against it. A courthouse was erected, and four policemen appointed. A post office next followed, and one by one the various institutions of a civilized community arose in miniature form. Numerous ships began to enter the bay, and a lucrative trade sprang up with Tasmania. In 1838, the first newspaper appeared. It was due to the enterprise of Faulkner. Every Monday morning, sheets containing four pages of writing were distributed to the subscribers under the title of The Advertiser. After nine issues of this kind had been published, a parcel of old refuse type was sent over from Tasmania and a young man being found in the town who had in his boyhood spent a few months in a printing office he was pressed into the service and thenceforward the advertiser appeared in a printed form the pioneer of the press of victoria mr batman had fixed his residence not far from the place now occupied by the spencer street railway station here in the year eighteen thirty nine he was seized with a violent cold, and, after being carefully nursed by one of his daughters, died without seeing more than the beginning of that settlement he had labored so hard to found. 
mr faulkner lived to an advanced age and saw the city whose first house he had built become a vast metropolis the year eighteen thirty nine brought further increase to the population and before the beginning of eighteen forty there were three thousand persons with five hundred houses and seventy shops in melbourne in eighteen forty one within five years of its foundation it contained eleven thousand persons and one thousand five hundred houses End of section eight. Recording by Linda Johnson.